Good morning, everyone. It's great to be back. I want to thank our sponsors for our Munashir this morning. Sarah Katuna, in memory of her beloved grandson, Yudalei ben Avraham Zev. So sorry, his neshama should have an aliyah. And as well, Bacheva Yudit Bachein Dolfego should have a refuah shlema and give birth to a healthy baby. She should have an easy delivery and both mother and baby should Amir Tashem be well. So thank you to our sponsors. I also want to thank Naomi Cohn, the proprietor of the brand new Sinaholic, for bringing... Uh, I ask you to please eat them all so none are left in this home. Please finish them. If you, uh, if you want to sponsor a class... Shh. Everyone has a lot to say. I gave you a few weeks to talk. Now we're, uh, we're back together. It's time to be quiet. Okay. We have been uh, making our way through the Slonim Rebbe, Nesiva Shalom, Yisodei Torah, in his parak on Dvekas, his chapter on Dvekas. This is from Mayor Balanese here. In his chapter on uh, Dvekas. And we've been talking about the many different ways of clinging to Hashem. First, we developed the whole idea of clinging to Tamidei Chachamim. That sometimes when you want to connect to something great, you find someone else who excels at that area of greatness. And by clinging to them, you are connecting with that area of greatness. We also talked about the idea of achieving dveikus through Shabbos. That Shabbos is a time of dveikus when one has uh, serenity and peace from the chaos and the stress of the week, one can find room to cling. So we're on Ozvav, page Samach Zayin. I believe that's what we're on. That's what we're going to read anyway, whether we're on it or not. Min hadvarim ha'ikariyim ha'mevim l'dveikus b'ashem hu'inyan taharas ha'midos. So again, the notion of Dveka is just to define, as we've been doing. It's been a couple weeks, so just to remember. Amuna is in the abstract. Amuna is the theoretical. Amuna is the knowledge that there is a creator, a first cause, that there is an omnipotent being who brought the universe into existence. Bitachon is knowing that that first cause, that creator, didn't just build a world and move on. He built a world and he remains intimately involved with us, and that all that occurs to us is by design, not by chance, all that happens is for our best, as unfortunately difficult and challenging as that is at times, everything that happens is for our best. That's Tveikus. In fact, I'll deviate for a moment even before we begin. Because the Slanam Rebbe in this week's parsha, Mishpatim, has a very, very beautiful piece, a very beautiful insight. I won't take the time to tell you the whole thing because I want to get back to our, our topic. <clears throat> but he talks about the Nasa Venishma. In this week's parsha, even though the story of Kabbalah Satoru was in last week's parsha, why is it called Kabbalah Satorah, not Matan Torah? Because we continue to re-accept it each and every day, anew. So last week was Kabbalah Satorah, and people associate Nasa Venishma, that when the Jewish people were offered the Torah, we responded, we will do, and then we will listen. Uh, but it's actually in this week's parsha, And the Salaam Rebbe quotes the Moore Naim. The Moore Naim was written by the Chernobyl Rebbe the beginning of the dynasty of Tversky's, who broke up into different uh, arms of the Hasidus. But the Moranaim, the Chernobyl Rebbe, writes the following. He says that when the Jewish people put Nasa before Nishma, Our life is filled with ups and downs. There's a rhythm to our life. There's a cycle to our life. I think that's true in almost every area of our life. Take diet. There are times that you're well-behaved, you're in a good zone, you're eating right, you're feeling great. And there's times that you're undisciplined, you're letting go, you could care less. When it comes to exercise, when it comes to being careful how we speak, when it comes to relationships, 
There are times in a relationship where there's infatuation and romance and love and the other can do absolutely no wrong in your eyes. And then there's times where before they woke up in the morning, they're already guilty, they're terrible. Before they even open their eyes, they're wrong. They're wrong. So our lives are filled with Yimei Yurida and Yimei Aliyah. We have times of ascent, times that we're going up, times that we're plugged in, we're on fire, we're feeling good. And Yimei Yurida, times that we're going down. So, says the Chernobyl Rebbe, the Mo'orinayim, when the Jewish people put Nasa before Nishma, you know what the greatness of Nasa and Nishma was? Nasa means we're ready to do. Whatever the circumstance, whatever is going on, whether we understand or not, whether we're motivated or not, whether we're driven or not, but we're ready to do. Nishma is, let's talk, let's communicate, I want to understand more, I want to understand better. The Nasa before Nishma was the Jewish people's affirmation. It was their declaration, Nasa, that even b'yimei yurida, even when we're not feeling it, even when we're uninspired, even when we feel disconnected, nasa, we're all in. I'm not just going to shul, I'm not just opening a sitter, I'm not just saying tehillim, I'm not just having good midos, I'm not just being careful with Lashon Hara when I feel inspired. But even when I'm uninspired, even when I'm going through a difficult situation in life, even when Hashem is testing us with something we don't understand and we're struggling with our family or our parnasa or a dream which hasn't been realized, a great disappointment. Even in Yemei Yerida, even when we're going down, na'asa, we're ready to do. Nishma is in the Zman Aliyah. When we're on fire, we're inspired. Nishma, all I do is listen to Shiurim and all I do is read books and all I do is want to share Devei Torah and Enod Milvado and I'm on fire. So then is Nishma. But Nasa is even the Yemei Yerida, even when our way down. Why am I sharing this with you? Because then he continues. And the Chernobyl Rebbe says something fantastic. Relates to what we're studying. We're studying about Dvekas. We're studying about clinging, cleaving to Hashem. I forgot to define it. Amun is in the abstract. God created the world. Bitachon is, he's an intimately involved in my lives. Everything that happens is by design. And Dvekas is, the result is, I cling to him. That when I'm going through the difficult situation... I live life looking through the lens and through the filter of seeing the Yad Hashem. And even when I'm challenged, and even when something's no good, Dveikos, I cling to Hashem, and I understand that He's got my back, that everything's going to work out for a reason. That's not only during the good times. It's easy to practice Dveikos. You know, you just had a simcha in the family, you have a new grandchild, you just won the lottery, you just got the new job, you just met somebody you think is your soulmate, you just, whatever the case is, in the time of Aliyah, when everything's going well, it's easy to have to make this. Hashem, I'm clinging with you. You've got my back and I love you and you've come through and everything's amazing. But how do you cling to Hashem even in the hard times? So one of the psukim, we have numerous psukim, but one of the psukim for Dveikas is, V'yatem advekem b'ashem alokeichem, chaim kochem hayom. We're familiar with that from when we take out the Torah. V'yatem advekem b'ashem alokeichem. So the Chernobyl Rebbe points out, V'yatem and you... Hadvekim, you got to cling to God. When? When he's both Bashem and when he's Elokechem. Why do we use God's name twice? Bashem Elokechem. He's a dual personality, he's schizophrenia. Why are we using Hashem's name twice? So we know that each name of God reflects a different component or aspect of God. So Hashem is Midas Harachamim. When we use Yudke Vavke, when you use the name Hashem, it's reflecting God's almost maternal instinct, his inclination towards compassion, towards being forgiving and foregoing. When you use Elohim, Elokechem, we actually use the same word in the Torah, Elohim means a judge, a human judge. The same word describes a human judge and is one of the names of God. 
Why? Because when we're invoking that aspect of God, that he's a midas adin, he sits in judgment, strict justice. There's no flexibility, there's no tolerance, strict justice. So it says the Pasuk, Hatem Hadvekim, you have to feel dvekus. When? Bashem Elokechem. Whether you're feeling his midas arachamim or you're feeling his midas adin. Both relationships with Hashem, whatever's going on in your life, whether it's coming easy, whether it's all well, or whether it's difficult and whether it's challenging, but either situation in life, find a way to dig deep and to feel connected, to feel connected to Hashem. This is what in our parsha, when it says, Moshe Nigashal Arafel, Hashem Elokim, he says, there are three descriptions of darkness. One is deeper and darker than the other. Choshech, Anan, and Arafel. Choshech is, it's dark out. At nighttime, it's dark out. Our oldest daughter just started college in New York this week, and she has to wake up early to take the train to Manhattan. She texted us this morning, she doesn't like waking up when it's dark outside. <laughs> uh, and then she got a rude awakening, she doesn't like having to take the train when it's snowing outside. Going away from the train. So, Choshech is the normal uh, darkness. Anan is an even thicker darkness. But Arafel is a fog. is a fog you can't see through. So, Moshe was able to penetrate the fog of the Arafel where he found Elohim. What's Elohim? Midas Hadin. Meaning God, Midas Arachamim. What are you looking for, the three? Choshech, Anan, and Arafel. This is from the Slan Rebbein. So, Moshe, some of us can find God even when it's Choshech. And others, even in the Anan. Only Moshe was able to penetrate the fog of the Arafel when it's the greatest Midas Hadin. When Hashem is exerting the strictest sense of justice, Asher Elokim, the Midas Hadin. Midas Arachamim is not in a fog. Midas Arachamim is out in the open. This is what we say, Tov Lahodos Hashem, Lahagid Baboker Chazdecha, Be'emunascha Balelos. Lahagid Baboker Chazdecha. Hashem's Chesed? That's like Boker. The light is illuminating this clarity. You can see his chesed. Something amazing happened. Something worked out perfectly for you. Amazing hashkacha pratis story. Oh, it's clear as day and everything worked out and everything's amazing and it wasn't meant to work out and it worked out and that is boker. It's clear as day. Hashem's chesed. When is amuna? Balelos. At night. When it feels like you're under the cloak of darkness. When God is hidden. When all you see is this midas adin. So the challenge of Dveka is to feel that you're clinging and cleaving to Hashem, that He has our back, is not only when everything works out, that's so to say easy, although many neglect and forget to do it then, too, but it's when they feel a midas adin. You have to have dvekas, both in the moments of Hashem, when you feel midas arachem, and in the moments of elokechem, when you feel midas adin. Isn't it often the opposite that it says that um, we usually, when we're need hope and we're going through a difficult time, that's when we'll turn to Hashem and when things are going well, that's when we kind of neglect Hashem, like everything's fine. I'm saying, isn't that often... Yeah, there is the element of that. So there's the famous you know, comment, there's no atheist in a foxhole, which actually there was a study out of England uh, two weeks ago that supported it. Did I mention it? I don't remember. At the Amuna class. There was a study out of England two weeks ago that showed a third of atheists um, who were surveyed described that in a crisis... They pray even though they don't believe in God. Atheist convention in LA. So there's no atheist in a foxhole. What that really means is they think they're atheists, they're not. They're hedging their bet in case there is a God. But it means in their, in their kishkas, in their heart, in their soul, they know there's something bigger, they know there's something greater. So yes, when we're desperate, we call out to God for help. 
But when he doesn't seem to answer and we're going through that crisis, many, many people are... Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who lost a loved one and uh, he was describing that after his brother died tragically young, his father struggled to connect with God. People go through a difficult time and in the Arafel, when they feel that you know, there's no explanation, this makes no sense, that person is such a good person because it only seems like the worst things happen to the best people, right? I'm still waiting for Hashem to ask my opinion about who he should give these terrible things to. Um, he's doing the opposite. The list of the least likely people I would say to give things to seem to be the ones who are getting it, including this young man who was stabbed and murdered in Israel. Because today we live in a crazy time where you could watch a video of someone being stabbed and murdered, which is horrific. It should traumatize us. You should not sleep for a week after seeing that video. And again, every one of these victims is, is not, the neighbors don't describe, oh, he was a manuval and a low life. He was a jerk and he was mean. Every one of these people who get a terrible illness or who are, who are struck by terror in Israel seem to be the best people. So we, we don't understand it. We don't understand it. And it's easy to understand why in the Arafel, why in that fog, Someone would feel the Elohim that Midas Adin that it's hard to see him and it's hard to feel him and it's hard to cling to him. So, you know, I draw strength. I draw strength from the people who've been in the worst of that fog and who practice the highest Vekas nonetheless. Right? The top category among those are Holocaust survivors. Not all, not all Holocaust survivors, and we don't judge anyone who doesn't or who struggled to find God after the Holocaust. But you find the Holocaust survivor, Mr. Judovitz. And, uh, and others, and, and you see their level of Yerushalayim, their level of Dvekos, after what they went through, their positive attitude and their positive spirit. And then we can figure out that whatever we're going through, that um, it's not of the magnitude of what they endured. So it's not, I don't mean to minimize this or simplify it or make it sound like it's easy. That's why it's called Avoda. Avoda Sashem is not called you know, vacation of Hashem. It's not, it's, not called, it's not called relaxing with Hashem. It's called avodas Hashem. It's an avoda. Being able to achieve this level mentally, spiritually, mindfully is, is an avoda. It's work. You got to schwitz over it. You got to toil over it. You got to think. You got to train yourself to be able to get into this headspace. But it's true in both directions. Whether it's a moment of Hashem, whether it's a moment of Elokecha, you got to feel Hashem. So I'll tell you two Ashkacha Pratis stories. Because now I live my life looking for stories to share in the Amunah Shir. So, um, so I'll tell you one moment where it was a Amunascha, where it was a Lahagid Baboker Chastecha. So I went to go pay a shiva call in Palm Beach the other day, and it's a schlep. It was a 40 minute drive up there, and uh, I thought it was the right thing to do, whatever the particular circumstance, to pay this shiva call. So I pull in front of this uh, building where the family sitting shiva, and um, there was valet parking, and I said to the attendant, as I got out, I'm just going to be a couple minutes, which is my usual way of saying, please don't take the car anywhere far away. Um, so then I saw, he said, oh, you could, you could leave it right pulled over back there. So I said, oh, do you want me to pull it back there? Are you going to pull it back there? I'd given him the key. And there was like a moment pause, and he said, I'll do it. And then I went in the building. As I went up the elevator, I felt bad. Like, I could have moved the car, and I felt bad, but maybe that is his job, and he didn't feel bad. So anyway, I take the elevator up to eighth floor, and as I get out the elevator the elevator of the door next to me is closing, and who's in the elevator? The people I was going to pay the shiva call to. So they pressed the button quickly and opened the elevator doors and said, oh, we were going to rest now, we were going to, uh, back to our homes where we were going to go rest, but oh, I'm so happy you're here, come, we'll sit with you. So I realized as I was sitting with them that had I moved the car, yeah. 
That, that split extra it. second, I drove 40 minutes up there. I would have totally missed them. They hadn't posted times when they were sitting Shiva, by the way. It wasn't that I ignored their times. Um, so that was a moment to me of hashkacha pratis, that, uh-huh. that whatever it was, every traffic light I made on the way up there, or every second, was uh-huh. timed that that very second I saw them, because I would have been really annoyed to have driven up there and knock on the door and nobody be there and not have the Shiva call to pay. So those are the moments that that, that could just happen. And you could... Right, so it could happen and you could not notice it. Yeah. It could happen and you could say, oh, what a coincidence that you were in that elevator and I was in this elevator. Or it can happen and you can say, this is a moment of dveikas. Wow, Hashem, thank you so much for orchestrating things in such a way that it worked out exactly, it worked out exactly that way. Sometimes you have to remember to employ dveikas in the opposite. When we were in Israel right now, does my mother know the story even? I think partially. Well, when we were in Israel right now, we rented a car, which was a big nine-seater like bus, and uh, I was driving on the highway. We were trying to get to the Kotel for a Hanachas Tefillin early in the morning, getting kids awake and in the car. And uh, all of a sudden, on the highway on Route One, a light comes on that says uh, your brakes are malfunctioning. Pull to, the, pull to the side. So, okay. Anyway, we pulled to the side, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But we sat there for an hour and a half, and the rental car company wasn't getting through to us, and many Israeli drivers were driving by and cursing us because we were kind of blocking uh, uh, the lane a little bit. And the police came and, and like, whatever, I don't want to say Lashonara, but about Eretz Yisrael, but like typically instead of, can I help you? It's like, what are you, Meshuggah, what are you standing here for? Not what's the matter, what can I do? But what's it, what are you, crazy? You think this is a place to stop? No, I don't think it's a place to stop. I don't have brakes. Anyway, he didn't care. He wanted us to move to a safer place and he drove with us slowly. And as we drove, the light went off and the car worked out fine. And in the end, we were able to get to the Nafas and Whatever, it's a whole story. But as we were sitting there for an hour and a half, the side of the cold road of a highway with children, as cars are zipping by, not the safest drivers in the world, Yechev and I were like, oh, we got to use that Amuna class stuff we talked about. <laughs> like, everything's for a reason. We don't know why. There's a reason this is happening right now. Everything is with a, everything is with a sense of, everything is with a sense of Tveikus. I'll tell you one last story, and then we'll get to the, back to our text here. Because we've been off for a few weeks, so I have a few stories. So um, I can't tell you the details of this story, but we've been having to make a difficult decision about something recently and really schwitzing over the decision and what's right and which is right and what to decide and how to do. And a couple weeks ago, somebody met with me and we're making small talk. And then I said to the person, what can I do for you? You know, why, why, why have you come? And she said to me, you know, Rabbi Goldberg, I'm not even sure why I made this meeting. I'm not exactly sure why I'm here. But I'm here visiting, and I know people who know you, and they said, you're going to Boko, you really should meet with Rabbi Goldberg. Fine, I thought that was a little peculiar. I'm not really sure why I'm meeting with you. I made a meeting, okay. We continue to talk, and I asked her a question about something, and then she began to talk about the same topic that we have to make a decision about, and spoke about one of the sides in that topic with such an endorsement and such a glowing experience and such that as I sat there, I literally got emotional. And I said, you don't know why you came today, but I know exactly why, why you came today. So there are these moments of Ashkacha Pratis where there's a guiding hand, this providence, that the things that's happening in your life, they're not chance, they're not coincidence, they're not random, they are by design. And the common theme of the three stories I told you is you gotta have your antenna up. You gotta be listening. Whether it's a moment of of Bashem or Elokechem, whether it's a moment of Midas Adin or Midas Arachem, you have to be willing to put up your antenna and to take in the signal and to feel Hashem's presence in our life. Maybe Vav. Maybe to know that the word Halafel is Gematria Hashem. Oh. 
Shkoyach, beautiful, beautiful. Even in the fog of the Arafel, that's where you find the Shkina. Yeah, I, I tell you, just to expand on that, I, I think kind of paradoxically, sometimes, maybe this is what you were saying, you find Hashem is most accessible in the Arafel, paradoxically. Because you think, what do you mean? In the fog, He's the most invisible, He's the most distant, He's the most inaccessible. But on the other hand, when you're, in, when you're out of the fog, you struggle with thinking, who's in control, you or Him? Who's pulling the strings? You or him? What's really at work? Nature or him? And when you get into that fog and you're in that desperate place, then you, you have no choice but to confront and realize that, you know what? I'm just not in control. I just don't understand and I just can't make sense of this universe. And it kind of causes you to, to, to concede that, that you're in control and to realize that there is a Hashem. You know, as you were saying that, I was just thinking of it. Anyone ever been to the Blind Museum in Israel? The Blind Museum in Israel is very scary. Yechavet had to run out in the middle. She was traumatized. She, she, couldn't, she couldn't do it. So, the Blind Museum, the blind museum in Tel Aviv is, um, is, a, is a... To say it's pitch black is an understatement. It's, like, it's not just that there's no lights. I don't know how you make it darker than no lights. But it is the darkest place on earth. And, and, uh, and basically, you go from room to room, and each room has different sensory experiences. You go into it's the equivalent of a shopping uh, a supermarket. You've got to pick out items. And you go into the equivalent of a bedroom. And you go into the equivalent of... And the idea is to get an insight into what a blind person, how a blind person has to live. It is... Right, right. The madrichim, the who lead you in it, are each blind, uh, are blind people. They're talking to you, they're describing what they do, and you have that experience yourself. In fact, so Yechevet went in with our children, and I stayed out with Shai, who was a baby at the time, and then she couldn't take it, so she called me, and then we switched places. But I wasn't there for the orientation, so I didn't know that on the way in, everybody has a stick like a blind person. So all I know is I run in, and I'm getting smacked on my legs, and I couldn't figure out why... Who's beating me so badly? Is this like part of the experience? What is going on over here? So I asked the person, like, what, is this something on the ground that's hitting me? Anyway, so it was an unbelievable experience. But you know what? You talk about a humbling experience. You talk about something that is incredibly, incredibly humbling. So humbling. You, you realize, like, I think I'm running the world. I'm manipulating the world. I'm controlling the world. And then you realize what a gift. Wow. Wake up every morning, I can see. What a miracle. Mm-hmm. What a miracle. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the Gemara says that somebody who's blind is Chashev Kameis, and I understand it. Right? Today we have a world which is more supportive for a person struggling with, with blindness. But back in the time of the Gemara, I can understand that. The world is shut off to you. You, can't, you have no functionality, you have no access. And it's, it's unbelievably humbling. Actually, when we're in Israel right now, we were driving and we saw um, it was the sweetest act of chesed. But the waitress from a restaurant, which we could see, was across the street and down the block, was walking with a blind man to helping him cross the street and get him, get him on his way. It was a really beautiful image. So that's the Arafel. In the Arafel, everyone's rendered blind. When you get into the fog and in the darkness, you can't see. You don't pretend you could see. You're not even squinting and trying to maybe catch a glimpse of seeing and understanding. You are absolutely forfeited and conceded that you are blind, that you see nothing. And so I think those are the two ways that we can respond to that fog. You can either see it as a place absent of God and think that you're an atheist and where is God and I can't connect. 
Or you could realize, I see nothing, I'm utterly blind, I'm utterly impotent, I'm utterly dependent, I lack total control, and in that very place, gematria shechina, in that very place is God. That's what we say in Eichad, says, all those who were pursuing caught us between the straits, in the three weeks, but the Bali Musar say to read it, if you're running after God, you can find him where? Bein HaMetzarim. In the Arafel, in the dark moments, in the, in the fog, with the blindness. Sometimes you have no choice but to realize, I'm not in control, I don't control the universe. Yesterday, our community suffered a terrible um, tragedy. Theo, our custodian, who's been at the shul for more than 10 years, um, was discovered in his apartment. He had passed away. I think it was a massive heart attack. 29 years old. How old was he? 29 years old. And a, just a great guy with a big heart who really was part of our family for, for more than the last 10 years. A, a terrible tragedy. So that's a moment of Arafel. You, you just, what, you make sense of that? A 29-year-old good guy. A good guy. It's a moment of Arafel. So you just throw up your hands and you concede to the Ribbono Shalom. I don't understand you. I don't understand your ways. And, uh, but I trust you. That's the dveikas is that I trust you. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. I don't know if we'll ever comprehend it or other tragedies like it. But we throw up our hands in the Arafel and look for the Shechina and say, I have no choice at this point but to say, you're in charge, you're in control. Let's go to Ozvav. Let's actually read a little bit. One of the core things that brings you to this Dveikas, because we've talked about now, how do you achieve, how do you arrive at Dveikas? Especially how do you arrive at Dveikas when God seems like he's, he's hidden behind the curtain, when you're in a fog. Cling to his, to his character. That one should emulate God's ways, God's ways, identify God's character, what drives God, his values and his virtues, and then emulate his ways, walk in his footsteps. And this makes sense based on the Pasuk. Love God, walk in His path, and cling to Him. How do you cling to Him? By walking in His path. You know, I'll give you... Um, let's keep reading. Just like love brings you to feeling close, so to walking in someone's ways, meaning when you improve yourself, when you purify your your character, you end up clinging. Just like cursed cannot cling to blessed. So the more physical you are, the less you can cling to that which is purely spiritual. Only by purifying ourselves so we are more spiritual than physical, can we cling to the spiritual. I spoke yesterday at the Katz Yeshiva High School. They have a program for seniors where they, um, I forgot the name of the program. Dignity Beyond Death, is that it? Yeah. It's basically the Jewish way of death and dying. They learn about Tahara, they go to a Tahara room, Chavra Kadisha. Young people are not usually exposed to these things. And it's not an Ayin Hara, but it's, it's actually an amazing exercise in Amuna and understanding the notion of, 
of the neshama, the soul. So I always give the introduction to the course, and I talk about, talk about the difference between the soul and the body and what happens when we die. And I spoke to them yesterday about, um, once again, Hosh HaVashuvah, is surrounded by this theme, that we make the mistake of thinking that we are a body and we have a soul, mm-hmm. when the truth is we are a soul and we have a body. And the more that we think that we, have a bo- that we are a body, so we nurture and we nourish the body, and we pamper the body, and we indulge the body, and that we say well, who we see in the mirror, the vanity that we see in the mirror of who we are, that's the real me. Ah, some soul somewhere I have, I make a bracha, I daven, I do these nice things because there's a soul somewhere, but that person I see in the mirror is the real me. That's really the, the wrong way to live life. The right way, the righteous way to live life is to say, I am a soul, and I happen to be wearing a body. But the body is to the soul what clothing are to the body. Clothing are utilitarian. I wear them, they're functional. And then I take them off because they serve their purpose. The body is a vehicle and an instrument for the soul to express its free will and to make choices <coughs> in this world. But you know, at the end of life, we take off that body. The soul is extracted from the body, which is why our rabbis don't call it death, they call it Yitzhiya Saneshama, the soul being extracted from the body. And is that moment painful or blissful? It depends. If you lived your life thinking that you were a body and you had a soul, when the soul is extracted from the body, it's very painful for the soul, which is why we have companionship and we have a shomer and all the things surrounding tahara and shmirah and the kvura and the shiva are all about comforting the soul as it's transitioning upstairs with the realization that the body, who he always thought it was him or her, really is not and is going back under the ground from where it came. But the degree to which a person lives life realizing I am a soul and I have a body and I can't wait to take off this body. Rav Nachman of Breslin and used to say, I can't wait to be able to undress from my body so my soul can fly free, right? Just like I love taking off my tie and jacket and getting the suit off. It's a straight jacket. I can't wait to take the straight jacket off and, and put on a t-shirt and shorts. I just want to relax. So to the soul says, I can't wait to undress from the body. So the person who realizes I am, a, I am a soul and have a body and they've spent life nurturing and nourishing the soul and caring about the body as a vehicle for the soul but understanding that really the primary is the soul. So for that person, when the soul is extracted from the body, it's a moment of bliss. It's described by our rabbis as a neshika, the kiss of death. It feels great. It feels, it feels free. Exactly. So, Kodesh Baruch the Ribbon Shalom is the ultimate of a spirit. He's kulo ruchnius. He's entirely spiritual. We live in a world where we're half and half. We have an animal soul and we have a godly soul. Whichever soul that we are going to allow to triumph and to control the other will define us. And whether we can in fact cling to Hashem will be determined by which soul we allow to define us. So if we live life thinking that I am the person I see in the mirror and all I care about is my mani-pedi and my makeup and my appearance and my hair or my shetel or my clothing or my fashion or my cosmetic surgery or my everything. Nothing wrong with being put together and fashionable and attractive. But if we make the mistake of thinking that all I am is how I appear, then we can't achieve dvekas. How could you cling to God if you're entirely invested in the physical material world? Not even necessarily the superficial vain world, but all I care about is eating and sleeping and the pleasures of the flesh. All I care about is the physical material world. All I care about is my house and my car and the brand name on my clothing. So how can I cling to Hashem who's purely spiritual? But the degree to which I realize that I am a soul, I'm a spirit, that's who I am. 
and I simply use the physical world. And I not only am allowed to, I'm encouraged to derive pleasure from the physical world, but all as a means to enrich the soul. But really at my core, I am a soul. So if I live my life knowing I am a soul being enriched by the physical, but really a spirit, so now I have a much easier path. Now I can cling to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to the Ribbonu Shalom, through spirituality. I, uh, I don't know if it'll ever appear, the article or my quote, but a journalist from the Wall Street Journal reached out to me a few days ago doing a story on, on the Jewish view of modesty and this um, fashion, modest fashion bloggers. Sneers fashion bloggers, which I didn't even know was a thing. But so what, what I, the quote I gave her, which I said, I don't know whether the article will appear or the quote will be used, but was that the whole Jewish notion of modesty is exactly this, that we are a soul who has a body, not a body who has a soul. And if we want people that we interact with in the world to interact with our soul, not our body, then modesty challenges them, forces them to say, interact with the depth of who I am, not the superficial of who I am. Interact with the eternal component of who I am, not the temporary fleeting part of who I am. So we believe in being put together and attractive. And even, I wrote, you know, if you're into the beauty of fashion, so that's also a way of connecting to Hashem's world. Art, sculpture, music, and beauty of the aesthetic. There's nothing wrong with that. But only if it's a vehicle towards something, not an ends unto itself. All of that comes from our understanding, such a core critical understanding, that we are a soul that has a body. We're not a body that has a soul. And this too is part of the path, the methodology of Dveikus. If we want to achieve Dveikus, you cannot be immersed in the physical world. You cannot be drawn down to the physical world, living through because living for physical pleasure, living for material things, living for the superficial, and think you're going to connect to that which is truly spiritual. So how do you achieve dvekas? Is not It's kind of indirect. We talked about a lot of direct ways. But an indirect way to achieve dvekas is to work on ourselves. Be a better person. Be humble. Be kind. Be generous. Be sensitive. Be caring. Realize that the, the true you is not anything that's seen in the mirror, but is the soul that is buried deep within. And the more we can work on that and express that component of who we are, it will yield a feeling of closeness with Hashem. And that's what really, that's why in the Pasuk, in Tvaram Yeralef, Liavas Hashem Lokecha, love God. How do you love Him? Lalaches Bechodrachav. Walk in His ways. And what will be the result of walking in His ways? Namely, being more spiritual than physical. The result will be, Uladav Gabo. You will feel connected, you will cling to Him. You know, we do things all the time that let us, make us feel, when we imitate someone, we feel connected to them. When you make your mother's recipe, you don't feel connected to her, even if she's long gone. Eric Stein, someone in our shul, wears his father's talus for Yisker, only for Yisker. Each time he says Yisker, he puts on his father's talus and he feels cloaked, like he's getting a hug from his father when he says Yisker. I always thought that to be a very beautiful minhag. And there are countless examples of when we imitate someone, we do something the way they did or the way they taught us, it achieves dvekas. The result is we feel very connected to them. So God is rachum v'chanum. God is kind and compassionate. God is mevaker cholem and menachem avelem and mal bisharumim. God clothes the naked and God visits the sick and God comforts the mourner. So the Gemara says when we imitate, when we walk in His way, when we follow His footstep, then we end up feeling connected to Him. We feel close to Him. So if you want to achieve closeness, the answer, the method is, walk in His way. Be like Him. It's kind of an indirect 
way, but of achieving, of achieving that result. So we'll stop here, but uh, bless all of us that we should... Oh, that was stop again? Wow, what was? Oh. After, oh, even longer. We should all succeed in nourishing and nurturing our souls. Amen. Amen.